Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So Dr. Lena is off for this episode, but I'm pleased um, to welcome Dr. Stephanie Tangsom Butt-Visit, who is a Developmental Behavioral Pediatric Fellow here at the Mind Institute associated with UC Davis. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us um, as we continue to go through our milestones Um, series today. And today we're going to talk about language development. And before we get into the specifics of language development, tell us why developmental screening is so critical in early childhood. Yeah, so early childhood is a critical period of rapid brain growth. And children are born primed to learn. Uh, They pick up new skills almost overnight, which is what I'm seeing right now with my five-month-old daughter. Um, But developmental screening is so important because it allows us to catch delays early. And we know that if we can provide high quality developmental stimulation or targeted therapy, so speech, occupational therapy, physical therapy, during this uh, critical time of rapid brain growth, we can better help children meet their developmental milestones and ultimately reach their fullest potential. Mm -hmm. So that's the early intervention that we aim to give children to really get the best outcomes. Yeah, exactly. So when should parents expect questions about their child's development, their language development? And can you briefly discuss the difference between developmental surveillance and developmental screening? Yeah, so you can expect questions about your child's development from the very first visit, that newborn visit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just seems like we're just, you know, having fun, checking in. Um, so it does it, it's, we kind of sneak it in as pediatricians. Um, and that's the developmental surveillance. So it's just general monitoring, a few questions. It can happen, you know, in a questionnaire before you come into the exam room, or it can happen during the exam. Um, developmental screening, now that refers to the use of structured measures. And these measures have been studied and validated um, to assess your child's development at different stages. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, or the AAP, recommends screening for development, so using those structured measures, at 9 months, 18 months, and 30 months, as well as any time your physician has concerns on the developmental surveillance, or if the parents bring up concerns. Mm -hmm, That makes sense. And what do we mean specifically when we refer to language development? So... There's a little difference between speech and language. So speech is the process that our brains and our ears and the muscles in our face and our mouths um, coming together to make sounds. But language, that's the process of learning to communicate and relate with others um, and our environment. So it encompasses verbal and nonverbal communications, sounds, words, gestures, signs, facial expressions. It's what you understand and what you can express. It's a huge world, so much more than just speech. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Could you also tell us the difference between receptive and expressive language development? How are they different? So 
simply speaking, receptive language is your input. So taking in, processing, and then understanding. And then expressive language is the output. So speech, signs, gestures, and using that to convey your needs and ideas and things like that. So let's start by reviewing typical language development that starts you know, after birth up until a child starts school. So let's focus on the ages that follow the typical well-child schedule when children are brought to the office to see their pediatrician. So what are some of the highlights for each age that parents can expect and look out for starting at two to four months of age? So at two to four months, families can expect a child to smile responsively, make cooing sounds. They can make different sounds for when they're upset versus hungry versus tired. Uh, They start turning to voices and specifically soothing to voices that are familiar to them. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And then what about at six to nine months of age? Um, At that point, we expect children to start babbling and making consonant sounds. So things like ga, ma, ba. Then they'll start to duplicate those sounds, making sounds like mama and dada. But at this point, they're not using mom and dad, dada, specifically for mom and dad just yet. But it's still exciting for a parent to see that, right? And hear it. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Definitely. So what about at one year of age? Is this when parents can expect the first real words of their children? Yes. That's when we would expect the first words, as well as we expect them to be able to follow uh, one-step directions uh, with a gesture. So things like, give me Teddy, and then using a hand gesture. So um, I've heard this theory that Dada is easier to say than Mama, since it seems infants always get that first. Is there any merit to that? You know, when I was a general pediatrician, I would say the exact same thing. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Um, So development progresses. Typically, uh, it starts centrally and moves outward. And so the muscles that are used to make the duh sound um, are closer to the back of the throat, so more central than the muscles used to make the muh sound. So there is some merit to that, although in in my practice, I've seen it go both ways because overall, those muscles are pretty close together. Mm -hmm. But typically, sounds like muh, duh, puh, overall, those are easier and clustered around the same age than the more complex, like, shh, th sounds. Mm, That makes sense. You know, when you're going through all those sounds, I'm, like, kind of thinking about how my mouth forms to do that, which (laughs) I never do, right? Because you just, like, naturally go about that. And it just, when you were talking about that, I was thinking, yeah, like, something like, shh, that's, like, a much more complex sound to make. Yeah. Yeah. So what about at 18 months of age? How many words would you expect children to have in their vocabulary? And when should they be responding to like one or two step commands like go get the book? Mm -hmm. By 18 months, we can expect to see about 10 to 25 words, but it is very variable. As far as following commands, around 16 months, you'll see them be able to follow one step commands without gestures, and then two-step commands comes closer to two years of age. Mm-hmm. And then what about the language milestones at two to three years of age? So most children around two years have at least 50 words. Um, you start to see them put two words together in a phrase, such as like, baby eat, um, and you can see them be about 50% in- intelligible to a stranger. So parents can understand their children Um, easier than strangers can. At three years, um, we can have up to like 
200 plus words uh, and they start to use three word phrases and now we're closer to 75% intelligible to a stranger. At that age, we also see them use more complex grammar. So being able to use things like past tense, plurals, and pronouns. Interesting. And what about at four to five years of age? What are some aspects of expressive and receptive language that really signal to the parents that your child is ready to go to school, ready to go to kindergarten? At this age, you can see the vocabulary explode. So we're going from hundreds to thousands of words. Um, again, the sentences they use become more complex. So you're seeing more words in a sentence, using adjectives and words that end in like ing, like the ing words um, or the er words. Um, you can expect ch children to retell stories from a book and follow simple rules to a game. Um, when we're talking about kindergarten readiness, things like being able to say their first and last name and phone number of a parent or caregiver are important safety skills. Um, being able to talk about feelings will be important for interacting with their peers. And then understanding the words to like group objects, identify colors and shapes, count and rhyme. Those are all things that um, are important for uh, the academic aspect of kindergarten. Mm -hmm. well, you know, and when you're talking about this, I'm just thinking about how important this is for children's other aspects of their development, such as their social and academic um, advancement, that if they can't communicate or understand correctly, they're going to really have difficulties in those realms. Yes, definitely. What are some of the red flags that parents should look for um, related to language development or language delay? So pediatricians, uh, you know, look for red flags at every visit. Um, and so some things that you can think about are um, not cooing or gurgling by four months, not using those consonant sounds, so the muh, guh, buh, um, around nine months, not responding to name or understanding the concept of like no at a year, um, having less than five words at 18 months or having few words or no two-word phrases by two years. Um, when you're coming up to four years, having unclear speech or being unable to answer simple questions. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I've heard some uh, parents talk about language delay that it runs in the family, that the mother or the father didn't speak their first words until they were 18 months or two years of age or something, and they turned out fine, so they're not concerned about a delay in their child. Does this have any merit? So it's language delay certainly can run in families, and with the advancement of genetic studies, uh, we've identified several genes that are associated with different speech and language disorders. That being said, anytime there is a speech and language delay, we do want to follow those kids closely. We know that girls mature faster in several areas compared to boys. Are boys more likely to have speech delay than girls? So there is research that shows that of children with speech delay, a greater percentage of those children are boys. But again, kind of going back to your previous question, any time we have a, a child with a speech delay, a boy, we can't just assume that they'll, they'll catch up on their own. They may benefit from additional support, either from caregivers or from a speech language pathologist. 
As a pediatrician, I've heard this question about um, more than one language and, and having more than one language spoken in the home several times. And sometimes I've heard people talk about it that, you know, if there's more than one language spoken at the home, that it's more difficult for the child to, to be an expert in one of the languages. And of course, other people think that it's fantastic because then if children are exposed to more than one language, then they'll learn um, two languages. So this commonly occurs in multi-generational households where maybe the grandparents might be speaking um, a different language or when um, another caregiver like a, a, a nanny speaks another language. What happens in those situations? So I totally agree with the multilingual homes should be celebrated. It's a very common misconception that um, speaking more than one language can lead to speech delay. Sometimes it seems like there's a delay because a child will have a few words in each language. But when you add up the total words they have between all language, it's often within typical limits. And it's really great for the language learning centers in the brain to have that exposure to multiple language because they each come with their own set of sounds. And now all of these different sounds are in the child's toolbox to use when they form their own words and they're picking up languages. So it's really, really great for a young brain to be exposed to multiple languages. What are things that some parents can do at home to really facilitate language development for their children? Like, is it ever too soon to start reading to your child so that they gain more vocabulary and hear all those words? It's never too early. So language development at home um, should always be fun. And families can model language by speaking to children long before the child can learn to speak themselves. You can turn your child's whole day into a story, talk about what you're doing, point out what you're seeing. And it may seem silly at first because your baby can't respond yet, but their rapidly growing brain is soaking up every sound you make, every facial expression, every gestures, and it's so exciting for them. And then, you know, reading is great because, you know, as a new mom myself, sometimes you just run out of things to say. <laughs> so you can, um, you know, in addition to just reading the story in the book, just like pointing things out in the book, letting your child turn the page. It's a great way for them to link what they're hearing with what they're seeing and touching. So now you're getting all of the senses involved. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If your pediatrician um, has concerns about speech delay, what kind of testing can parents expect from the pediatrician? So one of the first steps is checking the child's hearing. You want to make sure that they have adequate hearing for the full range of speech sounds. And this evaluation is done by an audiologist and often requires a referral from your pediatrician. Mm -hmm. Often the pediatrician will also recommend an evaluation by a speech-language pathologist, um, which can come from different places, through the medical insurance, through the school district. And for us here in California, it could come from your local regional center. Mm -hmm. So the hearing tests are interesting because you know, children are now routinely screened for with a hearing test in the newborn nursery, and they, you know, they pass that. So are, the hearing tests are more sophisticated than, than that one? Yes. So uh, the audiology evaluation is more comprehensive than just the screening test done in the newborn nursery. And are there any um, groups that are at higher risk that should routinely have hearing screens even before you notice any delays? 
So the AAP recommends hearing screens at certain ages for all children. And then on top of that, uh, children who are at higher risk would be children with a family history of permanent childhood hearing loss, children who've had prolonged or complicated neonatal intensive care, children who have been exposed to certain neonatal infections that are associated with hearing loss, or there are certain medications like chemotherapy that are associated with hearing loss. Any child that has differences in the structure of the ear um, need to be screened before uh, there are signs of delays. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, because you, you don't want to miss that, and you want to stay on top of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So with, if a child does have speech delay, what kind of services are provided to, to those children? So often they get uh, speech therapy where they work directly with a speech language pathologist. Some children may benefit from augmentative and alternative communication devices or AAC. And these can be um, use of pictures either on cards or boards, sometimes tablets or laptops. And then certainly if there's any hearing impairment leading to the language delay, working with an ear, nose, and throat doctor and an audiologist is important to get them fitted with either hearing aids or if they need um, any other devices. So let's turn our attention to technology. So I've seen apps that promote, that say they promote language development. There's some television shows, um, mostly on like PBS, but other channels too. And then there's like Baby Einstein. Um, Do these really help um, promote language development? So these apps and shows are certainly like super stimulating, um, really entertaining, but they themselves don't help a child learn language as much as having a family member or a caregiver speaking, singing, reading to them. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't use them, that they aren't great. It just means that uh, children get the most out of the screen time when an adult is interacting with a child during the show and helping them integrate what they're seeing and hearing. So we don't want to just park the kid in front of the TV and say, well, this is good for their language development. See you later. We want to be with them and highlighting things with them. A hundred percent. Yes. What about some of the other disorders of speech that may be common in the preschool age group? And I'm thinking of things like dyspraxia and stuttering that um, may occur. What signs can parents look out for to identify these speech disorders um, and how are they treated? Yeah, so apraxia and dysarthria, both of them are considered motor speech disorders. So apraxia is uh, where you have difficulty kind of planning that transition from one speech sound to the next. And then dysarthria affects your articulation. So that's caused by weakness or incoordination of the muscles used in speech. And both of those, because they're motor disorders, the therapy includes working with a speech language pathologist on kind of usually it's multiple practice trials of making those sounds. Stuttering, now that affects the flow of the speech. So it presents as sound or word repetition, lengthening of sounds, or getting stuck on sounds. It often presents at 18 to 24 months where there's like a rapid explosion of vocabulary. And for some, it can resolve on its own, typically by age five. But for others, it requires, again, working with a speech language pathologist. 
I guess when we're talking about this, I'm thinking about our current president, who's talked very movingly about um, how he has overcome stuttering in the past. And of course, as a politician, they're talking all the time, and if they can, they need to communicate with the public and with other individuals. Yeah, and it's I mean it's great to to see public figures talking about having these challenges because it normalizes it for children. Um, one of the other issues that comes up with speech delay is sometimes this is thought of as possibly being a sign of autism. Can you address that and some of the other features that might make autism more likely? So speech delay is one of the most common developmental delays, and in isolation is not a sign of autism. But autism specifically involves impairment in social communication. You you, you can get speech delay, and speech delay is super common in autism, but it's that social communication um, that we focus on. So the way a child uses their language, rather than how much language a child has. So are they directing their sounds, words, and gestures to another person? Are they using them to make requests or to show and share something? Absence of that social behavior and social use of language is more concerning for autism. Are there any additional resources or tips you'd like to share with families regarding language development? Yeah, so I always tell families to trust their instincts. If you're concerned about your child's language, bring it up to your pediatrician. And always, of course, make language learning fun. So singing, clapping, reading, blowing kisses, saying all the silly words, making all the silly sounds, those are the best ways to to build language. Well, thank you, Dr. Steph. I appreciate so much you sharing your expertise regarding language development. And just to summarize some of the main issues regarding language development, we discussed why developmental screening is so important for language development early in childhood, um, the different ages um, that we expect certain aspects of language to develop, and then we talked about some of the problems that you might notice with speech delay and language delay and, and some of the issues that your pediatrician um, might take to um, address those delays. Yay, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, you have a five-month-old child now? I do. What, what are they doing? She's doing a, making a lot of sounds, mm-hmm. certainly screeching, squealing, cooing. Um, she's not quite making uh, those consonant sounds just yet, but we are expecting those to come soon. It must be really exciting for you with your expertise to just see that blossom in front of your own eyes. Every day it's a new thing. <laughs> That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.